right, what's up, everybody? That, that's pretty lame. Okay, uh, hey, welcome to our new series called Leader of the Pack. Um, we started this series because this is something that everybody in America is talking about right now. If you go to an Ivy League school, um, first of all, good for you. Um, <laughs> Second of all, uh, the rest of us, you know, are going to ask you for financial information later on. And, um, but no, uh, Ivy League schools all around the country right now are um, propping up different types of research facilities to study this thing called leadership. And there are books that are written every year by gurus who claim to know what it means to lead and what not to do and what to do in order to lead. And those books just fly off the shelves. And so we thought, well, my, we should probably tackle this thing called leadership. But the other reason that we felt like we should do this is our whole staff. The entire staff feels a call and a burden not to necessarily um, be leaders ourselves or just be leaders ourselves, but to be a part of a movement that raises up leaders. And so we believe wholeheartedly that every single person in here, whether you feel like it or not, and you might not feel like it, but that you are a leader. Ephesians says this, it says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Meaning this, that God, since you were born and since before you were born, fashioned you in such a perfect way that he knew exactly how he wanted to make you, how he wanted to stitch you, what he wanted you to look like, what he wanted your personality to be. And he formed you so perfectly. And then prepared in advance works for you to do, good works where you lead God's people and you lead a generation and you lead a nation that is in need right now of some good leaders. Lots of organizations and news briefings and uh, research groups are telling us that we have a deficit in leadership. And meanwhile, Jesus is trying to get our attention through scripture and say, I've told you from the very beginning what I would like you to do. See, society says that leadership is having your way. We talked about this. Society says that leadership is um, getting your voice out. It's you having the biggest voice. It's you having the loudest voice. It's you having the most amount of people that report to you. That's what society says leadership is. The world tells you that leadership is all about you making a name and an influence and power for yourself. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew 20, and he says this, and we're just going to grind this home because we want people to understand, everybody in the room, to understand what leadership is and what it's not. He says, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men ex exercise authority over them. So he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you know how it is in the world? <laughs> you know how people lord it over people, and you know how leadership happens in the world and how they exercise authority over people, and they have lots of people reporting to them and lots of power over them, and, like, that's the whole goal of leadership, and all the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, we would really like that. And he says, okay, well, let me, let me just explain something to you, my disciples. Let me just say something to you tonight. Why? Not so with you. It is not this way among you. If you're going to lead, if you're going to lead a group of people, if you're going to be a part of the movement, if you're going to be a part of what this city, this nation, this time in our history so desperately needs, it can't be this way with you. You're not going to lead this way. 
And he says, if um, we're going to be a type of people, we're going to be a breath of fresh air to America. We're not going to look anything like the rest of America. We're not going to sound like America. We're not going to sound like Democrats. We're not going to sound like Republicans. We're not going to sound like any people out there right now. We're going to look completely different. We're going to sound completely different. We're going to be a different type of leadership. And they're going to hear us roar through the way that we serve our nation. Jesus says, if you're going to be great, he goes on, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be a servant. Who talks like this in America right now? Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be a slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. He's like, you know how leaders are today where they want to be propped up and kind of, you know, paraded around by everyone that's below them? Out of everyone, Jesus should have said, I'm the king of kings, prop me up and parade me around. And he said, but I didn't do that. I came to prop you up. I came to prop other people up. I came to carry other people around. This is who I am. I know how to lead. And even the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life so that other people could have more. Leadership is saying, I will give of me so that you have more for you. I will lay down me so you have more for you. That's what leadership is. And tonight what I wanted to talk about for the next little bit, next 30 minutes, promise. I want to talk about the reality that if you are going to be on mission, that if you are going to be leading, that if you are going to do what I believe God is calling every single person in this room to do, then you are going to be faced with resistance and you are going to be faced with obstacles. And so what do you do when there are giants in the places that God has asked you to go? What do you do when there are giants in the places that God has promised you to go? And I titled tonight, There's No Giant Big Enough. There's no giant big enough. Turn to your neighbor and just say, He's not that big. <laughs> the biggest dude in the room right now just, just feels like he works and needs to work out more, right? So, uh, no giant big enough. Let's bow our heads and ask Jesus. Um, God, be here. We love, your, um, we love your presence. I can sense you um, in this room, and I just ask you, I ask you, God, um, to move within this group of people. I ask you um, to move within our city. Move within our politicians. God, move within our country. God, we humble ourselves. It says in your scripture that if we, your people, humble ourselves and seek your face and cry out to you, God, that you will restore us and you will hear, hear us and you will heal our land. And that's what we're doing. Um, God, tonight that... Um, we will sense you in a fresh way that every single person in here will understand that you have a, a good work that you've prepared in advance for them to do. Um, speak to every single person in here as only your Holy Spirit can. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, when I started working at Red Rocks Church, I was actually um, an administrator, which back in the day meant I uh, did anything from file papers to clean toilets to set out chairs to decorate offices to purchase stuff to 
answer phones. Like, it was such a myriad job, and it was so wonderful. It was, it was a ton of fun and a lot of work. But I worked under um, the guys that you know today. I worked under Chad, and I worked under Sean. And there was one day where Chad came to me, and he's like, I've got this great idea for a series. We're going to do our very first relationship series. And he called it This Means War. It was an amazing series. If you've never heard this series, um, it was a few years back, and you should go back and listen to it because it's one of our best. Um, but he said, hey, Jess, so what I need from you is I need, um, I need to, to make the whole stage look like a wedding ceremony. And so I need an altar, and I need um, a mannequin that's a bride, and then I need a mannequin that's a groom. And I was like, sweet, you know. And so I have a week, because that's how Red Rocks rolls. It's like, we got do it now. And so... <laughs> And so I was like, okay. And so I'm like, you know, renting wedding dresses, which is so weird, and renting, um, because what? And so, and then renting tuxes, you know, the whole deal. And then I had to find mannequins. And so um, it's too late to buy a mannequin, have it shipped here. And so I look for mannequin rentals in Denver. (laughs) And I end up finding a place. Um, It's called Candy's Mannequin Rentals. (laughs) And I'm so excited. I find this place and I start driving over to Candy's Mannequin Rentals and I'm like, sweet, this is going to be awesome. It's probably going to be a big shop. I'm sure, I hope it's real nice. And uh, as I get closer to it, I realize I'm not driving to a store. I'm driving to a neighborhood. And not only that, I'm driving to like a really weird neighborhood. And as I get deeper into the neighborhood, I pull up to a house and I'm just thinking, oh, oh no. Um, oh no. And I get out, and (laughs) I swear to you, this entire story is true. I get out, and I walk up to the front door, and it says, please enter through the secret garden. And there's an arrow. And I'm like, okay. And so I round to the back door where the arrow said to go, and there's a big old fence in her backyard, and uh, it says, you know, enter through here, and so I do, you know, and I'm kind of like knocking, like, where, is there a doorbell? And I open this gate, and as I walk in, there is an entire setup in the backyard of a bunch of mannequins having a luau. (laughs) And some of the mannequins are dressed up as mermaids, and they're in a kiddie pool, And some of the mannequins are barbecuing and, like, talking to each other. And they all have lays on, and there's, like, um, different decorations everywhere. And everything's kind of run down and super eerie. And I'm just like, where am I, you know? And I I finally get to the back door, and I just, like, knock. and, um, And I kid you not, this woman, like, sweeps away the curtain And she is the most frightening individual I've ever seen in my entire life. And she goes, well, hello. And she comes out. She has limp. And so when she walks out, she goes like this. And she's like, well, hello. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Um, And she goes, please come in. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, I can't. And um, she goes, no, please come in. You know, and she's like shuffling in. And she goes, don't mind um, the massage table here. This is my part-time job. She goes, if you need anyone that needs a massage, let me know. And I'm like, no, like, what? No. Um, And she goes, you know, and I, I honestly have this moment where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I am on set of Criminal Minds. And... And she is psycho, and this is how she lures her victims. And she goes, come back, and I'll show you, you know, where all of the mannequins are. And I, for whatever reason, I follow her back into this back room, 
And as we get deeper into the house, I realize that this woman has anywhere between 45 and 280 cats. And you can smell them, you can see them, they're everywhere. And I'm just like, oh gosh, you know, and they're jumping off of things. And we finally get to this back room and she's like, come in, come in. And then she looks around the room and she had some netting up in the ceiling for whatever reason and like different um, pieces of like sailing things, like she was still going with the luau theme. And um, she's like, now where is Lucy? And I was like, what? And she goes, oh, there you are. And there's a mannequin that she was talking to. And she goes, oh, there you are, Lucy. And I was like, this is not happening. This is not real. I get out my phone, and she goes, I need to go upstairs and check some laundry. And I'm like, sweet. I text Chad, and I send him a pin drop, and I say, hey, bro, if you can't find me in an hour, this is where my body is. Because I'm convinced she's getting a knife or a hatchet, right? And I look around the room and I like gather up like two mannequins and she comes downstairs. I sign a check, you know, like, like as quick as I can. And I leave the, you know, the perimeter. Like I am gone before she can even like figure out if it's a real check or not. And it was one of those moments um, when she was upstairs and I was downstairs and I was by myself. I swear to you that fear was so deep within my heart that I couldn't breathe. And I learned two things that day. One, if you are ever going to a stranger's house, take a bodyguard. (laughs) And two, that fear is so real and that it has the ability to just be so debilitating to us. And God in scripture talks about fear more than he talks about heaven, more than he talks about hell. And he says, you will, if you go out on mission, if you go out to do some crazy thing, if you go out and do what your boss tells you to do, if you go out and do the things that God is calling you to do, you will inevitably run up against something that will cause you sufficient fear. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Numbers 13. And we're going to be reading uh, about a man named Caleb tonight. Numbers 13. Um, let me just kind of back up and give you a little bit of background about this. So the Israelites have left Egypt. They have um, escaped Egypt by the hands of God and through the leadership of Moses. They've wandered around in the wilderness for a number of years, and now they are on the perimeter of their promised land. They are right on the edge of where God wants them to go. Right on the edge of where Jesus and God have promised them to go. And so that's where the story picks up, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, um, Moses sent them out to the desert of Paran. Um, All of them were leaders of the Israelites. When Moses sent them to Canaan, he said, go up um, through the country of Negev to the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people living there are weak or strong, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or is it bad? What towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees in it? Do your best to come back with some fruit from the land because it was the season of the first ripe grapes. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. And there they reported to them that the whole assembly had showed... um, And showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it is indeed flowing with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. 
But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw, <clears throat> excuse me, we even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites that live in the hill country, and the Canaanites that live near the Jordan. Then Caleb, and this is the leader we're going to focus on tonight. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who came up, or who had gone up with him, said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, and we seemed like grass, grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. So Moses hears from God, as he normally does, and God explains to Moses very clearly, I'm going to give you this land. And this is the way that he phrases it. This is the land that I have given you, past tense, already given you. This is yours. It belongs to you. And I want you to send 12, uh, 12 tribes in, excuse me, 12 spies in from the 12 tribes and have them investigate the land. And so that's what they do. And 12 men go in. They go in for 40 days and they explore the land. And what they find is everything that they were hoping for. Which I love. I love this because they come back <clears throat> and they say, it's just as good as God told us. It's just as good. It's just as beautiful as God told us it would be. And if you're wondering, um, man, is this promise that God has given to my heart, this promise of a wife, this promise of a husband, this promise of a dream, this promise of a business, this promise of a mission, this promise of a ministry, is it as good as God has promised? And scripture tells us here that it's even better than that. What he promises, he makes good on. And the hill, the hill country near the Jordan, everything, it's just as beautiful as God had said it would be. And they come back and they give that report, but then they say this, they say it's full of people, lots of different types of people. And the question I want to ask you tonight is this, is there a promised land that God has given you? Is there a promised land that God has given you? And they change and they shift over time. I know that my promised land looks a lot different now, differently now than it did 10 years ago. But is there a promised land that God has given you? And if so, are you sitting right now on the perimeter of your promised land? Are you sitting right now on the perimeter of your promised land? The 12 men go out into the land and they survey it, and they come back. They say, it's just as good as we thought it would be. Um, but there are giants living in the land. I mean, these are like not the descendants of Anak. These are like the descendants of Dwayne Johnson. Like, <laughs> like they were bigger. They are bigger than we are. And of the 12, 10 come back. Of the 12, all 12 come back. They all make it. But 10 come back and say, we can't do it. And there's only two, Caleb and his buddy, who say, we can definitely do this. They're big, but this is the land that God has given us. And I think tonight God wants to help us understand that 100% of the time he gives us a promise. And he always makes good on his promises, y'all. But the reality is, is that percentage-wise, 16% of these people actually took hold of the promise. And tonight God wants you to understand that 100% of you have been given leadership and have been given a promise and have been given a good work to do in his kingdom. 
but that according to this text, 16% actually reached out and said, it's mine and I'm going to take it because God said so. And tonight what I would love to challenge you is if you are on the perimeter of your promised land, that perhaps tonight God wants to speak to you about actually not just receiving a promise from God and saying, well, that's so nice, Lord, but actually taking hold of what he says is right there. And I think we can learn a couple of things about Caleb's leadership tonight. And the first thing is this, is that we don't allow fear to dictate. We don't allow fear to dictate. We read this text or we read other texts in scripture and we're so far removed from the people and from what they're experiencing. And we think things like, man, those 10, like they were just so, um, they just had no backbone, right? Like the first time I read this, I thought they had no backbone. They had so much fear. They were crippled by fear. They were such scaredy cats. But what you need to understand is what they were experiencing and what they were feeling was very, very real. And the fear was valid. It was a valid fear. It wasn't, um, it wasn't an ill-placed fear. And as I can speak from experience and from mannequin lady, fear, <laughs> it does something to you. And sometimes we think that the moment we feel fear, the moment we see a giant in the land and we're scared that we're disqualified, that fear makes you disqualified. And what God wants you to understand is that, no, 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 no. Feeling fear isn't the problem. It's when you let fear dictate you, that it becomes a problem. Fear is a real thing. And Jesus talks about fear so much because he understands that it's real. It will debilitate you, but also, but also that he wants you to overcome it. The, man, the men survey the land and they, they feel um, just completely afraid. And it wasn't just one group of people. It wasn't just one problem. It wasn't just one issue that they saw in the land. But it was a myriad of issues. It was a whole lot of different problems. And I wonder tonight if there's a bunch of people in here who are looking at the promises that God has given them. And if there's just a whole myriad of issues in your promised land. Maybe for you, it's that you wanted to start a business with your partner, with your friend. And so you guys do a startup, you do an entrepreneurship. And then maybe six months down the road, you get a phone call from your friend. And he's like, hey, buddy, here's the deal. Like, there is no more money. It's gone. We're done. That's a real giant. And it causes real fear. Maybe for you, it's that you're young. You're 22, you're 23, you're 24. And the doctor gave you a diagnosis. And the giant is real. And the fear is real. Maybe for you it's that, you know, you've been told by jobs, no. And you've been told by credit companies, no. And you've been told by apartment buildings, no. And you get so worn down over time that you begin to think that there's nothing for you anymore. And the promise, the giant is real. And the fear is real. You feel called to be a doctor, but you take the MCAT twice, and you fail it both times. And even your parents now are starting to say, well, maybe you should take a different road. It's a real giant, and the fear is real. I think what we need to understand about Caleb and these other men that went into the hill country is that what they saw in stature was physically bigger than them. 
What we need to understand is that anytime we are going to pursue our promised land, if I'm going to take hold of my promised land, if you're going to take hold of your promised land, you are going to look out and there is going to be things out there that outmass you every time. There are going to be things out there that outweigh you every time and it will incite fear within your spirit. There is always giants in the promised land every single time. And I love when people talk about fear, when pastors talk about fear, because they're essentially being like, fear isn't a big deal. You know, it's just not a big deal, just it's not real. Fear is an acronym, false evidence appearing real. And I'm like, no, no. Fear happens when you see something that is completely intimidating and completely valid. And what fear does is it speaks to you deeper than your father. It says that this giant is bigger than your father. This outcome is bigger than your father. This diagnosis is bigger than your father. What this person is telling you is bigger than your father. What this lie is saying is bigger than your father. But I also love that anybody that I have been involved with or that I look up up to in ministry or that I look up to in our country, they have been faced with circumstances that have incited fear and they haven't stopped. In year two of our church, our church almost couldn't pay any of its bills. Scott came to Sean and said, Sean, we got to close the doors. We can have church on Sunday, but we can't pay rent, we can't pay electricity, and we certainly can't pay ourselves. You want to talk about fear. He told his family to move to Colorado and his wife to have a baby on Medicare. That's fear. Franklin Roosevelt, halfway through his presidency, developed an illness that put him in a wheelchair. Not only would that threaten um, your physical body, but it would threaten your mind where you think, maybe I can't lead this country anymore. Christine Kane, Beth Moore, two of the biggest women that I look up to in my life, they were both abused as children by family members. You want to talk about fear? (laughs) No, no, the giants are real, friends, and they will outmass you every time. But what God wants us to understand is that he is so much bigger and so much mightier and so much more powerful and can absolutely crush every single giant in our life. And so the fear that they incite, we need to decide what we do with it. It's not so much when God is saying, don't have fear, don't have fear, fear not, fear not, fear, do not fear those people. He's not saying don't feel the emotion of fear. He's saying don't let it dictate your movements. He's saying, he's saying, you step out into the promised land even if your knees are shaking. You go after it even if your heart's racing and you feel like you can't breathe. Don't stop and don't let them stop you. Don't let the giants dictate. First Peter says this. It says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is among you as if something strange were happening to you. And I love that verse because God is promising us as Christians that if you are going to go out and you are going to build God's kingdom, you will meet resistance. No enemy of our souls wants us to do that. And he says, don't be surprised when you meet a giant as if something weird is happening to you, don't be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I'm trying to start this ministry and it is so difficult. No. (laughs) But you need to decide what to do with that fear and tell it where to go. Fear's real, but it doesn't get to dictate 
your movements. Number two, don't mistake criticism for leadership. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole assembly. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. All right, so that night, a bunch of people hear about the report and they're frightened as well, okay? Um, They hear Moses and Aaron talking about um, the promised land, and they hear Caleb talking about the promised land, but they're so frightened that they begin to grumble. And I find it interesting that we as a group of people, whenever we see people taking hold of their promised land, if we are fearful or if we have fear within us, we won't take hold of our own promised land, but we will comment about the people that do. The Olympics are coming up, 2016 Olympics. Holla. I love the Olympics. I'm going to quit work for two weeks. And I love watching the Olympics, and there's always a set of commentators, right? There's normally like um, three commentators, two commentators, and they will sit there, and these people will do amazing feats, and then they will talk about it. And so, um, you know, some girl will do like a triple black flit lutz thing, and, and she lands it, and she's like, you know, and, uh, and they're like, oh, Harold, she didn't quite stick that landing. That's going to cost her. <clears throat> you know, or like the guy will get up on the rings and he like does the whole thing, you know, and is doing, I don't know what he does, but it's amazing. And, and they're like, oh, well, Harold, uh, his, you know, his structure right now is looking a little bit robotic. Not sure if that's going to serve him well in this competition, you know. And you're like, okay. And, uh, you know, or I'm watching swimming, and, like, these people are like bullets in the water. And they're like, oh, that flip turn was kind of messy. Not sure if he's going to make finals. And, <laughs> am I right, Joy? And, <laughs> and I watch this, and I'm like, these people are Olympians. Like, they are built like Greek gods. And you're sitting in a chair with a microphone, like possibly getting fat as time goes on. (laughs) And I think sometimes that we as Christians, when we are too frightened to actually get involved in the games and we're too scared to take hold of our promised land and we're too frightened to step out, that we will sit back in our chair and we'll comment about the people actually trying to do it. Oh, I don't know if he should be trying to start that business. Kind of seems like he's starting a little bit early, wouldn't you say, Harold? (laughs) I mean, does he have money to be doing that kind of thing? Am I right, Joy? (laughs) Seems like he's putting the cart before the horse, if you know what I mean. And we say these things about people and we comment about people. And let me just say this. If you find yourself critiquing people tonight, if you find yourself constantly commenting about other believers, if you find yourself um, commenting about the leadership around you, there is a chance that you have some deep fear in your life. And there is a chance that you are not laying hold of any of the promises that God has given you. Scripture tells us that these men... Um, later on, they went to Caleb and they went to Joshua and they began to throw stones at them to kill them. And in 2015, we wouldn't say that we would throw stones at people, what we do with our words. And they not only that, but they commented about their leaders and they said this, I love this. They're like, well, we should probably just choose another leader. And isn't this us? 
I mean, I hear from a friend a few years ago, and he was never happy with a church he attended. He would be like, well, just I'm more of a liturgy kind of guy, you know, and I like expository preaching, and I just want to go deep, you know, Jess? And you go to a church, and you'd be like, I don't know, their life groups are kind of weird, and their, you know, their small group structure, I don't know if I agree with, and, and, uh, well, I don't know if I like this church so much, because I, I prefer contemporary worship, but not too much, you know? And I literally looked at him one day, and I was like, bro, go plan a church, and when you have a thousand people, you can talk to me about how we should do church right. When we are scared to take hold of our promised land, all we will do is critique and comment about the people that are. And a mentor in my life says, you can either critique or you can create. You can't do both. And let me just tell you that God is in the business of making leaders who build. He's not in the business of making leaders who tear down. And nothing drives me more crazy than a Christian tearing down another Christian leader. I can't stand it. It makes me want to cry. I hate it. God says, this is not the way that my people are to operate. You are to build, and you are to build up. And even if you do it differently than anybody else, what business do you have commenting about their promised land? That's theirs. It's not yours. If you tonight are in the business of critiquing, God wants to just speak to you and just say, hey, maybe it's time you start laying hold of your promised land and let go of that fear. Number three, don't settle for position when God offers you promise. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out uh, from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. I love this. It says, all of them were leaders. Every single one of them. All 12 of them were leaders. Don't you find that fascinating? I do. All 12 of them were given titles. All 12 of them were given name plaques. All 12 of them were uh, given specifics. You are a leader. And yet two of them, only two, actually laid hold. And you know what this tells me? Is that there is a huge difference between given a position and between the actual promised land. That sometimes in life we will be tempted to settle for a title when God wants you to take hold of a mission. That we will be tempted to settle for um, a name plaque, a name tag, our name on a door, a corner office. When God wants us to take hold of a mission. He thinks it's so great and God is saying it's so wonderful when you get the PhD. But don't give up on the promise I gave you. It's so wonderful when you make partner. But don't give up on the promised land. It's so amazing when you lay hold of these things, but don't give up. And I think sometimes it's so easy for us. We, we as leaders are looking for that moment when someone actually says we're a leader. Hey, you're actually a pastor. Hey, you're actually a partner. Hey, you're actually a supervisor. But what this can do for us is it lulls us into a place of submission where we think we're so comfortable now and we're so satisfied with this title and we're so satisfied with actually having some recognition now that we don't actually want to take hold of the things that God has said that we will take hold of. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I didn't make you a leader for a title. I made you a leader for a people. 
in Good to Great, it's a book um, that I absolutely love and our staff is going to read in a month. And uh, it talks about this idea of a level five leader and that there's a difference between a level five leader and the rest of the leaders. There's a difference between CEOs that manage in a way that's level five and everybody else. And the difference is this. He says, level five leaders lead in a way that's not for themselves, that's not for their egos, that's not for their benefit, but for the benefit of the mission, but for the benefit of the company. And so he compares these two people, and one was this man named Lee Iacocca, who was the head of Chrysler, and the other one is a man named Coleman Mockler, who was the head of Gillette. And Coleman Mockler um, was a level five leader, and Ian Iacocca is what they would have termed a level four leader. And um, Lee Iacocca led the company in Chrysler, and he took it to great heights. It was um, when Chrysler was doing really well and its stocks were soaring and he did really well. But then he got really excited about the fact that him as a leader was doing so well. And he started doing interviews with like the Today Show and started writing books on leadership and started telling the world how they should and shouldn't do things. And he even wrote a book about himself titled Iacocca. Because really at the end of the day, it was more about the position than it was about the promised land for him. Then there was Coleman Mockler, who was a humble man who cared so much about the company, cared about the employees, cared about the mission and the goal. And in the 80s and the 90s, he took the company to new heights. Not only that, but he would bring people around him who were good leaders, and he wouldn't just leverage his leadership for himself, but he would le leverage it for other people, and he would share it, and he would disciple people, and he would raise up people, and all he focused on was not himself, but was the mission and the goal. And I find it so interesting that a secular book agrees with what Scripture says, that if you're going to lead, and it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be long-lasting then you lead in a way that's humble and that it's all about the promised land and not so much about the title. When Lee Iacocca left the company, Chrysler, as we know, tanked. It went bankrupt and was bailed out by the government. And Gillette is still doing just fine today with a new CEO and a new set of leaders that he has helped raise up. There's two different types of leadership, my friends. Do you understand? There's one that's all about the title. There's one that's all about the position. And then there's one that's all about the promised land. And God is saying tonight, be the one that's all about the promised land. And the last thing that I want to say tonight is don't let any giant tell you you can't have your promised land. Don't let any giant tell you you can't have your promised land. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh. <clears throat> who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes, and said in front of an entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because they, um, we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but when the Lord is with you, that is why you can overcome the giants. When the Lord is with you, that is why you can always take the land. God always gets his promised land, every time. The question is, is are you gonna be brave enough to go with him? Are you gonna actually join him and go? 
And Caleb in this moment is faced with the decision that only Caleb can make. And every single one of you is going to be faced with this decision, whether it's right now or whether it's in the future. And it's this. Are you going to let the giants have your promised land? Because they will be there every time and they will threaten it every time. And only you can be the one to just say, I hand it over to you. Romans says this, it says that the callings and the gifts in the promised land of God is irrevocable, meaning this, that no mistake that you have made, that no problem you are facing, that no diagnosis that you have, that no issue that's come up, that no failure that you've had, nothing that we experience in life can revoke God's promise over you his giftings and his call over you. And so tonight you are given the opportunity to say, I'm not going to let anyone take my promised land, not even if the giant seems huge. And this Sunday, John and I were sitting in worship and Tyler was leading, it was awesome. And John and I were sitting in worship and um, we both just kind of have had a couple of weeks where we feel like specific promises that God has given us and specific hopes that God has given us. And, um, that they just were falling through. We've been praying for a home and we toured a bunch of homes and they all literally smelled like cat pee. And they were just like dumps and we can't afford anymore. Like this is it, this is all we have. And I looked at God and I just was like, God, are you with me? Like, it doesn't feel like you're with me right now, if I'm just being honest. And he spoke to my heart so deeply and he said, Jess, are my promises that easily stolen from you? Are my promises that easily taken from you, Jess? And I felt my spirit kind of rise up within me. And I kind of looked at all of my fears and insecurities and worries and I said, no. No one gets to say, if I get my promise except for the Lord. And I'm going to believe you no matter what kind of giant or no matter what kind of issue or no matter, like no one gets to have my promised land except for me. Nobody gets to tell me what happens in my life except for me. Nobody except for the Lord. If he wants to take it from me, that's fine. I love him still. But no giant, no circumstance, nothing gets to take that from me. And God wants you to know tonight promised land is yours. Will you guys stand? With every head bowed in here, um, I just want to ask one question really quick. If you're in here and you don't know um, Jesus, you don't know who he is, you know that we've been talking about him as the son of God, but you've never actually met him. You've never actually experienced him. I would love Um, tonight to introduce you to him and the reality is is that he is so for you that he loves you so deeply that he probably arranged your day and your life and your friends and your circumstances just to bring you here and that he's been working on your heart through various circumstances and through various giants and he's been breathing life into you just to get you to this moment so that he could say hey I would love it if you would receive my life and my grace and my eternity. And the scripture says that if we recognize him before men, that he will recognize us before heaven. That if we proclaim him with his lips and say Jesus, with our lips and say Jesus Christ is Lord, that he will recognize us before the angels in heaven, that we get eternity forever and that we get Christ in us in the here and now. And so if you're in here and you say, you know what, I would
would love that. Would you just slip up your hand nice and high right now? Just go ahead, nice and, amen, nice and high, amen, nice and high, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I'm gonna pray for you. And then if you're in here and you've been bottled up by fear, you've been bottled up by hurt, you've been bottled up by circumstance, and the promised land has just been filled with giants. But you're saying, you know what, tonight, Lord, I'm trusting you that they are huge and they incite fear within me, but I'm trusting you, God, and nobody gets my promised land except for me. And if you say no, Lord, nobody gets my promised land. No giant gets my promised land. If that's you in here and you're saying, you know what, tonight, Lord, I just want to reach out and say it's mine. Would you just raise your hand? Awesome. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you so much tonight for every single hand that raised and said that they want you as their Christ and as their Savior. I pray over those beautiful souls, God. Scripture says that when you receive Jesus as um, your Savior and recognize him as the Son of God, that his Holy Spirit enters you and that you have eternal life. And tonight, I just pray over their souls, God, that you would just be with them, cover them, send angels to minister them even now. And I pray for every single person in here, God, who has fear in their life and who has circumstances in their life and who has giants in their life, God, I pray that you wouldn't remove them. I pray that they would face them. And I pray that they would say, God, I trust you even in the face of these issues and even in the face of these problems. God, make us into the leaders that you want us to be. Give us the promised lands that you've promised us. God, you always get your promised land. And we will go with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.